Thanks for continuance. This is Zach. I'm here with Hillary. Hi. And we're here. We're here with another episode in this new era, era uh, year, <laughs> season, area, a new time area of episode audio for you. We just want to say thanks for listening if you've been doing so. And we want to hearten you with the assurance that more episodes are indeed coming your way in this 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 new season <laughs> of, of life we ne- we never it's not a season we, we don't think about these episodes as having seasons but but here we are it's a new year 2024 big even numbers let's go before we introduce our guest we wanted to take care of that and also talk to you about music yeah we want to say thanks to silk duck who does our our intro and outro music that you've heard, the song Frustration. It's Justin Cox and Jeff Ryan. And you can find them on the internet. Yeah, you can find them on uh, Bandcamp, silkduck.bandcamp.com. That song is on the album Purple. Purple is the name of the album. Or the Purple album, maybe. The Purple album. It's all lowercase purple, which seems intentional. August 2013, it stood the test of time. We, I love their music. And we just want to say thanks to them for letting us use that song. And also, Justin Cox is a poet, which is how we all met. So we want to shout out his poetry as well. And you can find it on the internet. And I think you should go do that. And I guess the other thing we could say is we're going to keep putting out these episodes two at a time because we like that. Seems like some of you like that. You said so when we asked you. So uh, you're to blame. (laughs) But also... Uh, they're just going to happen when they happen, like they have been. It's kind of an unpredictable schedule, but we do have more coming. And I'm, I feel excited about the 12 that we've done so far. And thank you to the, those of you who've listened to them and chatted with us about it. On to the Baker's Dozen. Yeah. Of the future. Episodes 13 and 14. In this episode, there's a, a very special guest, which is my radiator. Um, (laughs) and it's kind of whistling in the background, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, you get a little DIY action in the, (laughs) but it's a steam boiler and you know, it's like a beautiful, mournful, sometimes cheerful whistle. Um, it's a little forlorn. Yeah. I didn't know the mic was going to pick it up. So lessons learned. Okay. (laughs) About technology. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing technology. If you have a steam boiler. Microphones are. And microphones are also impressive. The steam boiler is more expensive, is what I have to say. (laughs) I think usually. Well. Yeah, we're going to go talk to the one and only Carol Pagel. Yes, friend friend and mentor to many, hero to all, Carol Pagel. And she works at the CSU Poetry Center. She's the director. I guess she's our boss. Yeah, she's my dad, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But we've mostly talked to her about... Not her day job where we all work together, but her night job (laughs) as the publisher of Rescue Press, which will give the whole backstory in there. I am also an editor there, which I took a while to mention in the conversation. So I just want to be upfront about it now. I think it's fine. Yeah. I think it's fine that you do that. (laughs) (laughs) I just like like to hang back and not reveal my own connection to the subject matter. Um, But she has some really beautiful things to say about her approach to editing and publishing and to ideas of generative publishing. And also just, I feel like, like ethos, like Mm -hmm. how she goes about doing it and, and how that relates to the kind of aesthetically adventurous, 
like innovative, open, um, open-ended work that she publishes. Totally. And like, one of the things I, I love so much about the conversation is the way that, like in that idea about generative editing, I feel like, you know, sort of like encompasses in one way or another, like a lot. I'm not, I don't, I feel afraid to say all, but what I really mean is all of the like really different, really unique, uh, special, divergent, yet also compatible perspectives on the work of editing and publishing that, you know, we've encountered so far in these episodes. And it, it feels like a nice blanket. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of basket that it all goes in somehow. So thanks, Carol. Great. Great. <laughs> <laughs> a big old February blanket. That's well, we're, nice. <laughs> we're going to go talk to her. So, uh, Let's see you there. Let's go. You want to record stuff? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Index for Continuance. I'm Hillary. I'm here with Zach. Hey. And today we're talking to Carol Pagel. Hello. Just to just for the record, we all work together all day, every day <laughs> at the CSU Poetry Center. We're here to talk to Carol both about her work at the Poetry Center, and as publisher of Rescue Press, uh, another small press publishing poetry, prose, experimental, investigative, hybrid works, which was co-founded in 2009 Mm -hmm. with Danny Kalachi. Uh, Carol is also a poet and an essayist. Her recent books are Free Clean Fill Dirt, out from University of Akron Press, and Out of Nowhere Into Nothing with FC2. Carol, I want to start at the beginning. (laughs) Great. Yay. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we've been trying to make, I guess, a little bit of a history of U.S. small press publishing from like the late 90s to now. Um, And we've talked to like Fence and Ugly Duckling and Action and Black Ocean, which I think are all in like a teeny mini generation right before Rescue starts, Mm -hmm. which is about the same time that like Dorothy started in 2009, kind Mm -hmm. of um, in that like. I don't know what we call it, the late, late aughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> and also, you know, just thinking generationally, you know, the Poetry Center, the CSU Poetry Center has been around a long time. It's mm-hmm. a little over 60 years old, but it became a national, kind of national press in that, around that same time, sort of in the mid aughts. And that's when its list became part of this sort of national mix of poetry publishing. And then you started working there in, I'm going to say 2014? 2014. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> a decade. Oh, wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, And one thing we've talked about is that maybe since about 2010, fewer new small presses have started. That was like maybe kind of a peak in their founding and this sort of like blooming of new kind of poetry, experimental prose presses that were happening. So, yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about like all of your work and experience in that landscape and maybe just starting with like what um what inspired you to start a press in 2009 and what made it feel like fun possible necessary an adventure yeah i mean one like tiny thing i guess before i begin with the larger question is i do feel suddenly like maybe even this year or this moment that there are a couple of new presses that might be on the horizon or are starting again. It might just be like in who, you know, I talk to or like word on the street and whatnot. But I, you know, there was 
I have felt a perceived gap Mm -hmm. of maybe even like a decade, not with no small presses, but very few, or at least sort of like fewer than I feel like I had seen starting somewhat regularly. So I feel like when we started Rescue that I would kind of encounter or see a new exciting thing happening probably once a year. Mm -hmm. So it felt when we, when Danny and I started rescue very much like part of some ongoing thing that was happening. It felt like part of a larger cultural moment, but why we started it, there's so many different answers to that. I think that, um, one answer is that I was really inspired by several, Um, women who were, well, I don't know how old everyone was, but I perceived to be in that little like micro generation just sort of before me who were doing really good work. So, you know, um, Joyelle at Action or Mm -hmm. um, Rebecca at Fence or Sandra Dollar at 1913. There's, you know, a whole, a whole sort of bunch of them um, were doing this kind of work, maybe like you said, five to 10 years before me. And I was reading those books and I, um, and I was reading interviews with them and, you know, sort of like encountering some of, um, that little generation, uh, out in the world and they made it seem exciting and energetic and like something that was possible. That was like a a possibility in the world And so that was maybe in the back of my mind. Another answer to that question is that Danny and I had gone to grad school with the poet Mark Ray, who I know you've both read his work and Rescue has published three of his books now. And we had known him for a while. And he was a poet who, like so many poets, like nearly every poet really, had been sending out his manuscript for a long time. I think it had been around a decade at that point. And I, and I loved Mark's work and I loved even beyond that, still love, you know, Mark's sort of poetics and his sensibility. He's very much, he's a poet who will just like write a poem a day during his lunch break at his job, you know, I mean, just like a really like daily or, I mean, I don't know, you know, maybe weekly very sort of like regular experience with poetry as part of his life. And I always really admired that. And so Danny and I, we just, we had the idea to publish Mark's book. That was how Rescue started. It was very specific. It wasn't like, this is a thing we're going to do for the rest of our lives. <laughs> or This wasn't like, we're going to bring all these people into it, or this is going to become any one thing. We just thought, hey, we love this person's work. You know, also Mark had like this big pile of poems he'd been writing for so long and he would send them to Danny and I. And I was after a while of knowing him, I was like, I think I maybe have some ideas about how to make this into a book. You know, I wonder if Mark would be open to that conversation. Um, So that was a part of it, too. It was like an, an inkling, like an editorial inkling. Like, maybe I could be of use or of service Mm -hmm. in the context Mm -hmm. of this person's beautiful work. And another thing that Danny reminded me of recently, I think, when we were talking about how Rescue started, was that we had, the two of us had been out to um, UMass for 
something. I, I don't remember. Maybe one of us was reading or something. And we, gosh, I hope I don't get the timeline wrong, but it might have been around like when Flying Objects was starting or, yeah. you know, something around 2009. And, and I was friends with Emily Pettit, who published my first book, and we saw her when we were out there for whatever we were doing. And a lot of the conversation um, coming out of that program in that area around that time was just like, just everybody was doing something. Like someone had like this kind of journal, someone had this kind of press, someone was starting this kind of series. You know, you both are from that area and are familiar with the kind of artistic energy of that place. And I, it was just one more sort of thing at that moment that made me feel like, oh yeah, you can just, if you want something to exist, you can just make it <laughs> and see where it goes. Yeah. And like maybe one possibility that was very real to us is we would publish Mark's book and that would be that, mm-hmm. you know, I, then we found, um, we talked to Madeline McDonald right after that and published a little collection of fiction of hers and Shane McRae. And so the two of their publications came within a year, maybe. And after that, we just kept finding things. Yeah. And eventually I would say it was like, a couple years in where I realized that we had started a press or something. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So, like, so Mark's book was the first rescue press book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just to, since we're in this like Genesis story, yeah. I know you didn't yeah. realize you'd started a press, uh-huh. but when it just, which, which seems like... When you notice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh no. Um, but... Which seems like maybe a healthy way to do it or have done it. Because yeah. I think like one thing that was so nice about some of those projects that existed mm-hmm. in Western Mass at that time mm-hmm. was the way in which they managed to both be like serious and mm-hmm. functional, but also like had a, like a casualness about them or like mm-hmm. a, a sense of like, like it was like special, but like things weren't so like professional in this way as to like make it seem unreachable or Mm -hmm. like not everyone could do it. And that I almost like, you know, I think could have been like a kind of like a source of like sustaining energy to it, that it it, it didn't like, because whoever started it and and maybe it's not the case for all those projects, but like, I, I do remember the era you're talking about, you know, it all just seemed like, really cool Mm -hmm. and like it could just like go away like Mm -hmm. in a week yeah Yeah. but it was like fine totally you know totally and it was you know I think I had some friends there and that that place is special but it it wasn't only there you know that was kind of of a moment and one thing I'll say like looking back a little bit is that it seems special because I'm not positive we're in that moment still Mm -hmm. yeah but that is, I think, a big part of the history of small press publishing in America. Right. You know, like there are many um, groups or time periods that were publishing extremely, you know, now we would say important historical work mm-hmm. in what to those groups of friends and people was also casual and fun mm-hmm. and intimate. So I think that, that that's an important quality to remember as we generally are taking things maybe more seriously because of 
larger economic or, you know, like career reasons, career reasons, you know, like those things are real. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that they shouldn't be or that we can do anything other than like live in the time that we're in. And yet that it's not like, that's a really important part of small press publishing and its lineage and its histories to me is just like fun. (laughs) It feels like, it just feels like an argument for just doing things. Totally. (laughs) Totally. And and maybe not, you know, ever be, be as thoughtful as you want to be. And like, sure. You know, I think there is a, there's always a danger when like starting a thing that it could just be like, as so many projects do, right. Mm -hmm. It could just kind of just be this thing that only lasts a little bit. Or, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I feel like there are projects out there that like come and go real quick because it's actually like, it's actually like harder to like do mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. or to like do yeah. to do justice like by somebody's work. Um, Absolutely. And then yeah. it's like, well, oh wait, actually never mind. <laughs> Let's not be oppressed. But it seems like you don't you don't know going into it, right? And it, it feels so like impossible to like I, I feel like a lot of our engagements with like I don't know, some kind of like literary careerism are like predicated on the idea that like you can make a path for yourself mm-hmm. and then like it's not that you can't but it just seems like the idea that it can all be kind of like planned or like engineered mm-hmm. in some consistent way mm-hmm. is like not just a myth but I think like maybe like kind of like toxifying you know because it it I think also maybe for someone who is like kind of invested in that development or that story like that could be an argument against doing something Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that like, for me, one of the reasons why rescue has continued is because I don't, and I don't think anyone, you know, who works with it, I can talk more about these very important people later, but Danny or CV or Alyssa or, you know, you and the other Zach Hillary, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Zach Savage, um, you know, I don't, we've never had like one agenda or plan or idea or or brand and I you know I think that's great for other presses there are other presses that I like love and respect and admire who are like we want to address this situation like in in the culture or the context of small press publishing but for me it's really important to not have like one story that's why I'm interested in it still is this feeling of like kind of like rolling um, like I'm, I'm still finding out about it, you know, what it is and could be. And, um, like, and also sometimes I'm like jealous or envious of that past version of me that you're describing that just like did a thing with so much hope in my heart. I don't know if that's me anymore, Yeah. but another maybe relevant thing to what you just described that feels like luck or context or something like that is that rescue has also had the benefit of kind of like growing up with me and Danny and all all of us, you know, in that at a certain point we had done enough at any point it could, it could have gone away, Mm -hmm. but at some key points, other things happened, like, at some point, like, Danny and I got jobs that paid us salaries, 
that helped rescue continue to exist. Yeah. You know, there are many other things like that, but, and so it, you're right. It was never planned. It's just been able to go along because of other circumstances mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I'm curious about like, so th- those are like things that are, seem really necessary, but not like replicable. <laughs> do, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that, I like mean. The playfulness you mean? It's like, you yeah. can't make it exist again. You're like, like you can't. Like you can't be like. Okay, scene, be playful. Right. Yeah. Totally. Like yeah. You, you can't, you can't, you can't force your friends to be as cool as they are or aren't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you can't, mm-hmm. you can't make anyone's taste different in a way that affects the conversation that changes how a book comes out. Like, yeah. Um, there, there's so much of it, of all these things that like are, even down to those really like granular levels are, they, they feel so random. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder that like towards some of the almost more logistical or Mm -hmm. like quantifiable things Mm -hmm. just like I imagine at some point right like with the first book with Mark's book Mm -hmm. it was like that so many things are coming from this place of like this work is great why isn't it a book it should be a book why don't I make it a book Mm -hmm. what like and if you if you don't recall that would be fine but do you remember like what like what you had to do? Yeah, to make that I mean, a book. <laughs> some of this is, um, you know, ag- again, if anyone in the universe wants to ask Danny about this particular time, like he has a really good memory of it in ways cool. that are sometimes surprising to me and really funny. Uh, but we did all kinds of things that were ridiculous. Like we, we made a version of the book using like word mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and designed it. And then we took it to like Kinko's cool. <laughs> and used like our, at that time, like we had some kind of discount there because one of us was working at this art school I think this is how it happened and so we had like a little bit of like a coupon (laughs) for like a (laughs) kinko and then we like printed out we were like you know it just was like ridiculous and then we had I had a um, a friend, an ex-boyfriend who was good at design stuff, who was in advertising, who made that first cover for us. We asked some people. Um, I remember that Nick Twemlow, Canarium, had existed for a couple of years, and he was he talked to Danny and was extremely generous about just, like, this is what a contract is mm-hmm. and, like, yeah. what yours could <laughs> look like. Um, we eventually figured out we needed a printer. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like... We didn't know anything. And so I don't remember every step, but there were a lot of really, every part of it was learning, you know, um, at some point, I don't remember when in those first couple years, we did realize we had to like become a business and like pay taxes. And it was just like, that was stuff just like one day. We like heard the word taxes and we were like, oh shit, is that something we're supposed to, you know? And then like, uh, Danny's grandpa, like his family owns a, um, owns a business in Des Moines and, you know, like he explained what taxes were to us, you know? I mean, it was really just like one 
step at a time and it was maybe a little bit silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got going and at some point, I guess we have, we have definitely professionalized, yeah. um, in all sorts of ways, but I couldn't, it wasn't like all at once, you know, it's like each step of what we've done has gotten better as we've gone along. I mean, meeting Hillary was a big part of that because she had worked in publishing and she knew and was very generous about just like some business-y sort of conversations. I don't know if you remember any of that. I don't remember doing anything useful. I I don't think there was even like one thing. It's just like the more we got into it, but I mean, you in particular just had like actually had a job in publishing. That's true. You know, I started and ran a press for a long time without ever having done anything. So, you know, and other people we would meet, we would, we would just ask questions, you know, but for some, it didn't feel... I don't know. It's all, it's all been a process and it would be hard for me to even pinpoint, um, how we learned everything along the way. Yeah. I mean, I guess I should account for my, like, it would have made more sense if I said, I also am an editor at Rescue Press. Correct. But, no, yeah. Cool but, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to bury the lead on that, but, and maybe that, Maybe like kind of, five or six years into I the press. Maybe like in two thousand. It must have been around two thousand twelve because our first book came out in twenty, no twenty fourteen. So maybe yeah, twenty thirteen okay. we joined, and we started with Anne Yermanakos's book Tribute. So just to think, like, for a second. So at some point, you guys have been going for a few years, and then me and the other Zach Zach mm-hmm. Savage wanted to. Um, like we had an idea. I'm just like thinking toward that future or like what changes along, like how Mm -hmm. the playfulness continues maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we had some idea that there, there wasn't a space to publish these kinds of open, (laughs) I guess it's called the open prose series, but it was an idea that it was like what people were writing projects that you couldn't cleanly assign a genre to Mm -hmm. in prose, right? Like it was an essay with some fictional elements or like fiction that included documentary material or that was really interacting with, with journalism or with archival material, you know, or that was like maybe in a space that we now has become more identifiable as a lyric essay or everything that gets called like hybrid, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But at the time it felt like, there weren't a lot of places doing that. So that was our impetus. Like it was something you were interested in. And I guess, I don't know why we were interested in it. Like, I can't exactly remember how. Me either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, it just happened. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember we, it, we said it was like for fiction, nonfiction or uh-huh. sweet generis prose, uh-huh. which I think is, I remember is cause I just learned that term and I was like, well, I, re- that to you. <laughs> I, I remember because when you sent that description, I had to Google it yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I Danny had, and I were like, Oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember someone had used it at my work like recently and yeah. I was like, oh, man, I, got, I got it. Uh, cool, cool, cool. So, um, anyway, and we started with Anne's book Tribute, which mm-hmm. I love and is in is in that is in that space and is told in one lines. And then both like the other thing I should say is both me and Zach Savage, you published books mm-hmm. of ours, books mm-hmm. of our prose in particular. Both which of is you amazing. Who, or it, specifically both of those books, which I would say are in that space. Exactly. Like yeah. they were like it was sort of we had some sense that there we were interested in that kind of thing. 
and that there wasn't space for it. And I clearly, we also wanted to write one. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It must've mm-hmm. been like simmering that we wanted to write books. Like, mm-hmm. cause that's like, I think they both came out in 2016 or something. I don't remember. Watch Seems Fires about right. is 2016. And I don't remember when, um, like Zach has, well, it, events film cannot withstand. Mm-hmm. And then diving makes the water deep. But so when I think about like the arc of that series, I guess, like, it doesn't feel true in the same way that prose like that doesn't have a home. Like, because mm-hmm. the lyric essay, you know, certain kinds of essayistic writing or writing in one line or these sort of fragmentary associative essay forms became more prominent, right, in the last 10 years since whenever that idea was. But other things remain just as difficult or even more. Like, I think there are certain kinds of, like, fiction, both, like, documentary fiction that's like too realist Mm -hmm. um and or like fiction that's non-developmental in some way that isn't you know that's like refusing some types of plot development or like the certain satisfactions (laughs) (laughs) like like you cannot public you know so when I think about like there's still like incredible essay projects that need publishing. But I also sometimes think like, oh, that fiction space is the space that's like mm-hmm. not attended to by publishing right now or something. So all of that, I guess, is leading into a question for you about also like what's like what changes have been significant, you know, like in that 15 year period, yeah. like what changes stand out to you in the landscape of whether it's the literary side or the book selling or, mm-hmm. you know, like like business or writing or like I was gonna say being alive but that's like yeah that's like don't talk about that (laughs) don't tell us about being alive can I I I want to jump back but then I want you to like ask me that question again if I get too far at your pleasure okay (laughs) like just to say um because this is like a maybe a tethering between these two questions still is that like the way that that you came along and some of those ideas changed or just like added to what we were doing that's one of the ways that I think about like rescue with with such you know like hope and love in my heart is that it has changed when each new person has come along too Mm -hmm. so C.B. Perez our creative designer or our creative director and designer um like when we met him he um you know, he was an undergrad at the University of Iowa and clearly just like so talented. And he started designing our books and was very good and has gotten just like increasingly incredible, like amazingly better every single year we work with him. Mm-hmm. But he also is, he's pragmatic. He, he's more business minded. He's had um, many real jobs, <laughs> you know, unlike the yeah, rest yeah. of us. He, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he understands things about like sales and websites and just like, I mean, he's, he's such a huge part of what we do. And, you know, and we couldn't have known that when we met him, we weren't out there like looking for someone who could um, have a little bit more of a business mind or a little bit um, know a little bit more about like sales and marketing than us or you know like he has grown into all of that as well and his his eye is so special and working with him I think has changed has changed like our thinking about what we publish as well because his talent for the visual and for design has allowed it was like a a great sort of like overlap with 
my like huge interest and, you know, I could talk about this later, but I had gone to an art school and when we started rescue, I was teaching at an art school and that's a huge part of my own like writerly aesthetic and interest. And, you know, we've grown to get like a lot of what he's able to do with the form of a book has allowed me to pick books that I would never have been allowed to publish if if he wasn't part of the press. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa Perry is also an editor at the press, and she came along... I like Gosh, it sounds like, like born. I know she was born. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she came into my life like 2013, I think, ish. And you know, she's had such an influence. Um, my conversations with her, her editing, her attention to detail. You know, she started off um, doing more like intern work, and you know, now she's an editor at the press and working on projects. And she's like her. Her ideas and the way she approaches bookmaking has has changed what we are. And so those are just, I guess, some like personal mm-hmm. rescue changes. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, like I never, it's exciting to me to think like, what will it be in five years because of who we meet or how we, how the structures of what we do change together as like a group. How has like ev- everything changed um, in a really, I guess in my mind, the first Thing that it goes to is that we're doing an open reading period right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone out there, <laughs> feel free to send us. This won't come out in time. Yeah, yeah. yeah your work. Yeah. Um, you missed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. anyone out there, we're done. Better luck next time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, we've gotten the first couple hundred submissions already, and it's mm-hmm. an open genre reading period, and I haven't really started reading in earnest yet for this, but I've, you know, just like peeked at what's coming through and I can speak to the last open reading period, which was two years ago. And you read some things for that too. And, um, we got some great stuff. We got great stuff and like the stuff that's coming to us. And this is partly because we've been oppressed for almost 15 years now. And, and, Many of our books have done really well and, you know, we've just been around, but, but partly I think this is an actual change and just like the culture is that people are sending us very good, very strange work, you know, like I feel kind of like, because it's so hard, like the contrast between small presses and big presses, like that as like the poles get further apart from each other, it, it benefits us at least aesthetically. Mm-hmm. I don't know about like financially or institutionally or anything mm-hmm. like that, but aesthetically for sure, like we're getting smarter, better, weirder work. And it's being, it's being sent to us because we're us like specifically people know what we're up to. And I just think there's more of it out there because of small press publishing in general not just us or just because it's like the tea kettle it's the radiator <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. um, yeah or just because <laughs> sorry my train of thought <laughs> like uh there, maybe there's some sort of this is like a cynical take i'm sure it's not the only one but some sort of defeatist like welp 
I'm not going to sell my book to some big New York publishing house and make a billion dollars. So I guess I'll just write what I want to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think we get a lot of that and, uh, and it's good. It's like the, there's good, good stuff out there. Yeah. I wonder too about just like the, the role that maybe like MFA programs could play in that. Cause mm-hmm. like, I mean, I feel like you can track the sort of rise of the like quote, just to like, this isn't, the same as what you were describing with fiction, Hillary, but, like, it's kind of of a kind. Like, if you sort of track the rise of, like, the lyric essay, right, Mm -hmm. coincides with a lot of, like, that term becoming sort of more widely legible, people making that work, um, who also want to, like, teach, Mm -hmm. right? And I feel like there is more of that work happening in like writing programs too yeah there's so yeah i just wonder if that's like part of the mechanism too by which like more of that work gets weirder is because like like on the one hand it's like yeah like whatever fuck the big five yeah whatever like i'm not gonna send my work to like this place i know it's not gonna happen um but at the same time there's like this other there's like this just like this other form or something like there's this other like manifestation of that happening and not to say it's only like linked to MFAs but I would wonder about that as like a factor I have two thought like two competing thoughts about that like one is that I agree that like MFA programs and this sort of like professionalization of creative writing and the desire to like get a job in a time where it's impossible to get a job it like all of that in addition to the internet and social media and like broader culture, there's a lot of things that incentivize interdisciplinary work, yeah. multimedia work, um, work that pulls, you know, braided work, mm-hmm. hybrid work. Like there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And so there's a, there are many kind of reasons to be good at more than one thing and or to be pulling from more sources. Like, I think there's a greater understanding on the part of a reader of, of like, a non-linear text or, like, a multimodal text, you know? Um, And that's become a part of, like, pedagogies and, like, I think we're all more, like, fluent in that kind of thinking. But also, at the same time, I think that some work coming out of MFA programs could stand to get weirder. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's weird. I also feel like the opposite is true. Like, given all that yeah. and given the wealth that Rescue has, they're, like, most of the rest of the world is more, um, you know, little C conservative writing-wise than I would think it would be right now. Yeah, right. Um that's not exactly a judgment or anything, sure. you know. Um, it, it's just like a perception. Totally. It, it's just it's just like curious because like there's a. It's just funny to think about a possibility for like. A certain brand of like quote unquote chaotic or like hybrid mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. that is more legible. Yeah. That because. It, and that therefore is so because it translates into some like um, 
potential like learning objective or yeah. ability to fill like an institutional yeah. need in a place, um, which is like just to say that uh, <laughs> some some rejection to like one form of like literary professionalism doesn't preclude another one, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which. I guess I, I feel just interested in that situation because it it's just like more complicated. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, uh, even yeah. like the term like small press, right? Like yeah. implies some kind of binary that exists between small and large, and actually yeah. like it's there's like a lot more going on there. So Absolutely. that's like that's kind of like a um, a situation where that that's very much the case. And you're totally right, right? The, like I think like one of the most like disappointing pointing things out there right yeah. or like you read the about page for some press or some journal and it's just like yeah you know everyone want whatever people want the best and whatever mm-hmm. that means but like you know like this word weird mm-hmm. is like all over the place mm-hmm. like you're weirdest you're strangest mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. just kind of like i i've seen the stuff you guys are publishing yeah it's actually totally. not is that the weirdest thing that anybody sent you? Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's just that's what the submission pool was. But to your point, yeah, I mean, it, it's like, it's interesting to see it evolve and to see, like, what is, what is, like, perceived to be strange mm-hmm. or perceived to be weird versus what, like, is actually weird is often less legible than what you can even mm-hmm. quantify as weird. Did you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's just like, it's so much deeper. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it takes, for it to vi- really be weird, it is actually a risk to publish it. Correct, yeah. Because to be publishing weird work means that not every book is going to find the audience that you wish it would. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so you are actually... Um, Unincentivized if uh, if you care about sales or right. you know, which, like, yeah, like yeah, you know, which, luckily I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think just thinking of like art seems you know that like yeah. the version of it that shows up or becomes more predominant is the like more stable, like mm-hmm. less weird, weird one. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. where it has some of the qualities of what you would call weird, but it it doesn't do weird at you. And mm-hmm. I guess this is part of our back to our Rebecca Wolf conversation where we tried mm-hmm. to pin down what weird was and the difference between being weird. <laughs> I forget well, what the other, well, but it's, it was like, it was like weird and cool. And yeah. Then there's like, there's like the weird that's like cool, but then there's mm-hmm. like the weird that's like uncool mm-hmm. and like everyone wants to be cool. Everyone but, wants to be weird and cool, but not weird yeah. and not cool. But if you're, if you really want to be, <laughs> weird you have to be and cool you have to be willing to be weird and not cool you have but, to risk true uncoolness well you know and well, I can think I add like, another word to yeah. this that feels relevant to me is I think that when I think of the weirdest stuff I've published the reason it's a risk is because it's difficult yeah because mm-hmm. people haven't been taught how to read it yet because that is the book that will teach them to do it and so they have to be willing a reader has to be willing to be in some amount of difficulty and uncertainty and that yeah. to me is weird and cool but I think it's un- uncomfortable for for a lot of people and again I'm not like judging that I don't always like feeling uncomfortable in certain experiences in my life but yeah. that that at the end of the day is what it is, is it's harder. And I think it like what you're saying, you know, particularly if we think about the forms of the essay that have been kind of on the ascendance, you know, and the break, like forms of a braided essay where mm-hmm. thing, you know, we can all like picture the form. 
I've written a bunch about myself, so no, <laughs> I'm not taking a fight with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, but it's like, you know, to your point about difficulty, I think what is really exciting to me, and I'm going to go ahead and say to you, um, uh, about that form is when y you think about something in a new way because those, you know, putting those mm -hmm. different subjects or modes of thinking next to each other, like, generates new ideas and new sets of relation or exposes relationships among things in the social, cultural, political world that you hadn't thought about in each other's context or puts people's personal story kind of in a, like, intimate like dialogue of some kind or they're reading the world through an aspect of their story or their life through an aspect of the world you know like it's creating a new set of thoughts like versus you know sometimes you can read a use of that form where you're not it's like doing a kind of a good job you know like but it's all things you've thought already you know what I mean like it's it's just sort of putting some thoughts together or something, mm -hmm. but you didn't like have a new thought about those subjects while you read it. They were just there. So I think it's obviously that what I just said is a totally like subjective, you know what I mean? Like that's mm -hmm. just any critic or reader would have a different idea of which books fall in the first category and which books fall in the second. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that's just like up to your interpretation or something. But I think if you are, um, you know, like maybe we all picture the books where you're like something happened while I was reading it. That was like a new thing in my brain, mm -hmm. <laughs> like new. It changed something about my understanding of history or of interpersonal relation, you know, like, like something happened. And because of that, it's not necessarily, um, you know, it's not assimilable, you know, it can't, you can't be <laughs> like packaged or, you know, like it's just, yeah. it's unfamiliar. Right. So yeah. Well, and I, that's such a good sort of like, introduction to like something that I was I'm gonna agree with you <laughs> and also just sort of add on to that by saying like one of the ways I know I want to work on a book is when um the form of a book isn't even enough for it so like it expands beyond the boundaries of what I know it will ever even be once we're done with it, if that makes sense. So it like a book that makes me have to continue thinking about it and puzzling it over and figuring it out and something that has the potential to not be kind of resolved, actually. Yeah. Um, even after the author, like this is in the context of specifically a book that I'll edit as well as make, like that, that conversation, like I would like to talk to the author author of that about the book that they're making for at minimum a year and through many drafts and that knowing even by the end of it we we together might not have even ever figured out the full potential and then that's exciting too because what what happens when the book comes out how does it keep it's you know I've used this like idea of like generative publishing and that some of what I mean by it is not just like generating more writing even but like generating more thinking and more collaboration and maybe like performance or the next work or whatever but like something that has this like rumbling like um feeling in your body that like it's still this is some of what you were saying Hillary but like it's still with you like when you know when you like are done with a road trip or like when you're when you get off a train or something mm -hmm. and like the feeling of the the thing is still with you even mm -hmm. though it's over and that that's like a 
maybe I'm getting outside of like the genre conversation, but because this can happen in a variety of different ways in a book, but that exciting possibility, this sense that like something's so interesting, it's not actually going to be over, like your tasks together is already impossible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're going to make this book. And a lot of books that come to us are like very good. And I like the experience of reading them, but then they're really over, they're contained mm-hmm. within themselves. Yeah. And that's, many of my favorite books are contained within themselves. And I'm glad yeah. other people work on them and publish them. But I mm-hmm. think that like something I I can be in, specific, yeah. rescue and me, is like a willingness to like be in something that is less like finishable or something like that. I don't know. Which is like these are ideas, you know. They're ideas, but like they, it's such a uh, inefficient process. <laughs> yes, correct. Just, I mean, Thank you. Just, Thank you. No, yeah. no, no it, which like is coming back to like the um, you know the idea of like things not being assimilable uh-huh. or not. Like, there's no, there isn't, like, there's no business case to be made for that. Oh, no, none. There's no none. profit for anybody. But, like, I, I've also, <laughs> you, you know, know, talked a little bit, bit about, you know, I said this to myself a couple years ago, but I feel it more and more that, like, I just am not interested in, yeah. I mean, the multiple things that I'm a part of, and you both are, small press publishing, being a poet, mm-hmm. I mean, like... Oh, yeah being a teacher like these are things that like like the joy is being in them and like you can't really be thinking about what what (laughs) comes like ends Mm -hmm. or even like necessarily a certain kind of feedback or response or meaning make it it's like you just have to keep being in it you know so maybe like maybe at like to your point, maybe this is all like a coping mechanism. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it just seems like so. Um, it's art. It's like flawed to view it as some kind of like input output process. Anyway, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Um, in the way that like every spreadsheet works. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's just yeah. like that. Those hours. Mm-hmm. That math. Mm-hmm. That just like it. It can't. Mm-hmm. It can't work. Like it can't actually happen. Like it doesn't. It doesn't follow a logic, which I guess I'm trying to say aligns with the idea that the thing itself that you're like making would, would feel similarly uncontainable, right? Mm -hmm. It it can't, it can't contain the hours that have gone into it, right? Like it's just, it's like beyond that, right? Which like is maybe, maybe makes sense and like feeds into like another question we have about just like Mm -hmm. challenges, Mm -hmm. like in doing this work right because um, I mean we've been like alluding to ways that like having a job in publishing or having a job teaching or Mm -hmm. something that's some blend of that like just like feels like if not impossible like even if it's attainable also feels like is this doomed (laughs) like is this gonna keep happening is this you know just uh, because contextually right like a lot of our institutions and sort of like market you know, entities are just like, they don't operate in the way that they used to. And I think we're, I don't know, I guess like figuring that out as a, as an economy, but like within the small press world, like we're talking about some like changes. Are there like, 
and I mean, one challenge, right, is in finding the time to do mm-hmm. the work or maybe to, like, justify the the spend, right, of dollars or hours or whatever to oneself. Um, I wonder what you think about those challenges, right? Like, to the, mm-hmm. the prospect of just always being in something, always trying to make something that is a little bit impossible... There's a way you can feel about it personally, but like as someone who's been like in the small press world for as long as you have, like what are the like what do you think are the big challenges like now to the small press? I mean, there's one biggest one. Well, there's the two side biggest ones. <laughs> there's <laughs> yeah. it's a like you alluded to this, but there's always like the time money problem. Sure. Yeah. But the thing that I feel when I get when I feel like true despair mm-hmm. around any of this, it almost always is like centered on this one thing that I don't know how real it is, but it's a feeling, which is that people, 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 you people out there, <laughs> like aren't reading. And that reading might not be what it was back in the old days. <laughs> or that, like, is that an activity? But I, I don't know. It's like, I know people are still reading. Mm-hmm. But, like, my sense of, yeah, any anxiety or despair, when I, whenever I have a dark moment around all of this... It just has to do with a sense that, like, this thing that has been so meaningful to me, maybe the most meaningful part of my life outside of people. Not that, like, I'm right and it's better than anything else you could do with your life, but that, like, it's not being made available I mean, that you know, I could say a lot of dramatic things, but they feel true to me. Like, reading has saved my life, like, over and over and over again. Like, reading is an activity that's taught me everything I know. Like, reading is where I live. It's where I feel like myself. It's where magic happens. Like, all of this kind of stuff that men- many people feel this way, right? Like, many people love books or just the experience of reading. But there's something, it starts to feel like it's falling away, or like it's not as large of a part of like a daily experience that people are having and I don't know what to do about like there's nothing to do about it you know there's nothing to do about it and so that's like that's my existential fear Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) the other stuff you know, I could talk about and I do talk about with the two of you and the others at Rescue, like the people I work with in small press publishing are are more like, they're like questions of like, I don't know, like money and business models and th- they're real. I'd be happy to talk about any of that. But at the end of the day, I always sort of feel like uh, it's weird to like have never had there's something there's like an ego you get like if say you've never had a functioning business model (laughs) you start to think like you could handle anything because it never worked (laughs) or something like something silly like that it's like a positive trump 
vision. Yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, things like, um, you know, like labor, workload, uh, sales, distribution, you know, we're all always in those problems and they're real and rotating. Yeah. Um, But what I just actually am sad about is a sense that like, like I always have this like dream of just someday just like trying to find a way to give our books away for free or something, you know, like to just like eject ourselves from all of that stuff anyway. But then it's like, then it's a scarier question. Do people want to read books? Yeah, even, even you know? if they're free. Yeah. Like, say we removed every other problem. Mm-hmm. Is there a bigger problem? Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, it's weird to talk about it right now because I'm aware that probably people listening to the podcast that you guys do are the people who are reading books. So, but they, they'll be familiar with this mm-hmm. crisis. Then. I think people who don't, I think people who don't read books should really listen to this episode. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think this, I have this, like, big, chewy question that I feel like connects to some of this about, like, the word professional, which, yeah. like, Zach and I were, like, mulling over last week or the week before, and I've been, I've been trying to write an essay called Professional at the End of a Profession, <laughs> which yeah. I feel like is, like, kind of what we talk about in relation, you know, to higher ed stuff that's happening. And you could also think about some aspects of publishing that way, you know, like mm-hmm. that sometimes it feels like these cliffs are ahead, you know, but, you know, I was thinking about it in, in relation to these ideas about kind of openness, responsiveness, playfulness, casual, you know, like, mm-hmm. which I do think like when I think of what I love about the figure of an editor or the work of an editor or the ethos, it has this beautiful casual you know like a sense that both you can make you are going to have to make a big decision or like how is something and you just have to do it you're Mm -hmm. there you you have to do it but also that you're like people are going to like lose their minds at you (laughs) you're going to stay kind of casual you know Mm -hmm. but also that and that you respond to that you know you're kind of trying to see what's out there I think the other week on the phone like Carol I accused you of being like a node through which all literature flows (laughs) (laughs) Um, how dare you uh, (laughs) and I think that's like part of it it's a sense of you know like like the word professional comes with a sense of training and disciplinarity and structure and that you've been trained into a set of practices and that there's a, like there are best practices, you know, yeah. verse, which obviously there's ways to relate that to a sense of openness and responsiveness, but there's also kind of a push pull there or a sense that at least in whatever our context today, it feels like the word professional drags in this kind of like corporate, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, like you're wearing like the Hillary Clinton power suit, like, you know, mm-hmm. like you're, um, presentable and you're, um, going to be considered a professional and get that kind of recognition and visibility, right. etc. And then alongside that, we have all of these, at this point, like 20 year old debates about like professional, literary professionalization, like our MFA programs running in literature, like did it ruin small presses when they professionalized mm-hmm. or they went into institutions or they tried to get the recognition that big, you know what I mean? Like these, like starting in like the fence wars or whatever, mm-hmm. of the early aughts and continuing into t- today, but it does, it maybe like overlaps a little bit with concerns about reading. Cause like one set of reading concerns is that 
is about like social media and commodification, you know, like the sense that people might like perform having a relationship to a text rather, rather than having or being able to have Mm -hmm. this other kind of relationship to a text that's more personal, you know, and, you know, like intimate, all of those things that I think are to you what you're talking about when you're talking about the, um, sorry to sound cheesy, but the magic of reading, Mm -hmm. you know, like the transformative potential of reading, which cannot, cannot, or maybe should not be commodified. Um, which is why (laughs) you want to give all the books away, you know? (laughs) Um, but I guess, so, you know, like that sense of like, what, what is professionalism at a small press, which is not a commercial thing. It's about learning. It's about making, it's about kind of openness. It's maybe it is wanting to be casual, but also so many small presses fall apart along Mm -hmm. kind of lines of like, what's a, what's a professional structure that can work over time? Like how does work get divided up? Like Mm -hmm. how does money happen? Like who has the power? Like Mm -hmm. how do you like keep going without any institutional support? Um, if you get a little institutional support, then you have to keep it and you have to like, kind of like be related to that, you know? So I guess I'm just like curious, like what positive, you know, like I, like to me, I'm very inspired by your relationship to professionalism Mm -hmm. and I'm just curious how you have, like what positive value you, you've created in relation to that word or like what, what's the positive potential of it and how we think about the professionalism of the small press. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's I like, I like question. this question, <laughs> yeah. but as I like go, feel free to jump in and remind me of parts of it. Oh, I don't remember that. Okay. One. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> like, I'll just start with one. I just want to like tell you two this like funny thing that happened to me this morning, which is that my kid, Winter, who's four and a half or almost five, he was playing a game that we often play, which is pizza shop. He oh, has, yeah. cool. maybe you've seen them, these little like yeah, wooden. Yeah, but he doesn't, oh, he sometimes tries to give you the money and the pizza. He's not totally <laughs> clear <laughs> yeah. still on which way the money goes. Yeah. Cool. Um, but he, so like sometimes he'll come and take my order and then he'll go make a little wooden pizza or sometimes like I'll have to call him on the phone and order my pizza. But this morning he came over and, um, okay. On a podcast, I'm just gonna have to like talk through what I'm doing. He was like, Oh, can I have your order? And he put his finger on his lip, like a mustache, you know, (laughs) Uh and that was his professional look. Yeah. And I realized that I do that. Like in a lot of our play games, when I'm trying to be like professional, Uh I do a little finger mustache (laughs) (laughs) and that's the sign of what it means. (laughs) And so that's one thing that I realized I've taught you know, I've taught my child. Professionals have a mustache. Is that professionals have a mustache. And that, as you both know, is like a huge uh, (laughs) conflict (laughs) and difficulty in my sense of professionalization um, is that uh, the patriarchy Mm -hmm. (laughs) is real. And I've had, I've struggled occasionally too often with some gendered relationship Mm -hmm. to that word. I think that not as much at rescue as at CSU, which is part of an institution, have I wrestled with it. And I think that 
there's reasons for that. Mm-hmm. And not so much, I would say, exactly... Well, whatever. I, I won't go into all of that, but I'll, I'll just say that, like, people, I think even maybe more, especially when I was starting in this line of work... Maybe it's reasonable given all I just said about not knowing what I was doing, <laughs> but I found that often authors had an idea in their head of who an editor should be to have any sense of like, and they, they wanted that person to be an authority figure. Mm-hmm. I think that they wanted them to have a finger mustache. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that they wanted a certain... They had a vision of what it, their editor would look like. And I think not only was I not that, but I didn't act like that. And I still don't. Like, I really resist, like, telling people what to do mm-hmm. um, or have tos or, like, this is the way it works at the place where I, you know, mm-hmm. like. Yeah. And so increasingly, I think, like, thinking through some of those difficulties, I think my real relationship with professionalism Gosh, and this mirrors my experiences with teaching so much, too, is that I feel like I became a real professional when I understood that the things that made me different were my strengths, Mm -hmm. actually. And that for me, I feel the most professional sometimes when I'm like on the phone with an author for the third time that week talking about just like something they're nervous about in their life, (laughs) you know? And it's like, that's not like, you know, what people think an editor is. They think it's like change this comma or it's not going to print or whatever, whatever the hell it's like. I think that for me, this it's about like being in relationships with people. um, And the text is being like a site of that relationship in a way and a potential and a potential to invite other people in. And it's like a form that has to do with like being in a process over time. And it has to do with like being like, I, I think if you were to talk to any author I've worked with that the, that the authors who do have enjoyed their experiences, like I don't even necessarily like know whatever, obviously what everyone thinks again, it's Mm -hmm. like teaching, but I think that the people who do like me do because I'm, like, willing to just, like, be a a person, actually, for, like, pretty extended periods of time. Mm -hmm. And um, to, like, talk about more than just the act of, like, more than just even the sentences or the development of the text, but, like, how the writing, how being a writer, like, exists, how it makes you feel or what it's for in the world and, like, what the book can do and what they should do next and how they got there. And you know, I don't know that. And I, and I like that stuff. Like I am very interested in being kind of like in it with someone. That's such a weird answer to the idea of professionalism. I don't know. Well, yeah. But uh, I guess I'm just thinking when I think of that word, I'm trying to think of like my strengths. And I think that they're, maybe not what other people would think of when they think of that word. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like it, it's like, it's like pointing to like within professional, like the idea of the professional mm-hmm. professionalism. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a, maybe a helpful distinction to be made with, within it. Right. It's like, it's a word that like I, I often use in like a, a negative context. Me too. I feel yeah. hostile toward, but at the same time, if I like am 
tra- like doing my life or like collaborating mm-hmm. with someone on something often the things that f- will frustrate me are some like lack of professionalism mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. right and whether that's with teaching or like a creative project or an editing thing whatever it is I think it's funny because I, I think that like listening to you talk about that it, it almost feels like the 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 forms of professionalism that are like meaningful mm-hmm. have to do with just like care totally like, how much yeah. do you actually care about this and like that is what motivates you and when you I just say anyone to like make a plan to show up on time to to try to present this to someone else in a way that could be helpful versus the professional that is this non-conversational mm-hmm. well this is how it's done this is mm-hmm. how we do it I'm in charge mm-hmm. um and my professionalism is in the interest of continuing to be in charge <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I never really think I'm in charge or have no desire that, well, but also, okay. So it is, it's connected with the things that you're saying in that, like, maybe I should say, I do feel like I'm professional in, like, I forgot about like just the work. Like I, Mm -hmm. I hit my marks. I make my deadlines. I keep the spreadsheets. I have, you guys have seen my to-do lists. Like, mm-hmm. I guess I just think like, that's the work of it. Like, that's the work that I do every day, all day long. And like, if I can, I organize things, I set up templates, I set up calendars and guidelines and best practices. And I feel like that's the form of the, the work that we get to work in. And if I can help us, both my colleagues in the presses, like that's, one thing I, and not only I, can offer, but but I do, if I can help set up the, the calendar, you know, the form, then we can do this other work together. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. Like, it's not, um, it's important to say that because it's not just like hippie shit, like I want to love everyone I do, <laughs> but that's, I get to do that because I know it's all in order yeah. first. And so part of what I can offer in this like professional context is just to like make people feel like safe in the form mm-hmm. by knowing like, we're going to hit our, we're going to hit our marks. We've yeah. got it. Mm-hmm. We've got that. Like, I'm going to get your book out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get your book out. It's going to be good. It lets you, that kind of form lets you be confident And, you know, we don't at rescue or at CSU, like we just, we don't fuck up very often. Like we don't, like we're good at what we do. We have little underemployed teams of (laughs) highly (laughs) uh, talented and efficient people. And we do a good job at that. And so then I guess it already allows my head to go to these bigger Mm -hmm. things of like, once you've got the other shit down, like, what's the potential? I like how we're literally describing, like, a poem right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. start the start of the morning. I was yeah. going to say that before, but yeah. I thought it would be so, like, a poet to say it. Yeah, it's like at the sonnet. You got yeah. the form, yeah. you got your yeah. marks. So yeah. it, is, it is really, like, yeah. I was thinking while I was talking. So maybe it's funny. Maybe you just learn the same lessons over and over. And maybe the lessons I needed to know about all of my professional life came from poetry. Mm-hmm. Like maybe yeah. <laughs> being a writer taught me how to do this. Yeah. And it is also true of teaching. It's like you make 
you do that math, but like you make that good syllabus, Mm -hmm. you have your assignments written out, you have your shit in order. (laughs) You don't allow that to start. You come to this group and you Mm -hmm. say like, I know what we're doing. So now we, we don't have to do that if we don't want to. Like that's, you know, we, we've built a, the architecture is solid, you know? And it's so great how like being, being a poet isn't a real job, you know, Mm -hmm. like being a writer isn't work oh, right. like you know what I mean like like not it taught us how to work then. right like it's, it just seems like they're like I I don't know I, I should be better at thinking it through but it just feels it feels like so mystifying mm-hmm. then right mm-hmm. that like if that's the skill set learned from doing a thing that like is like theoretically unassimilable and liquid and can't be contained or something and yet to do it you actually have to be like quite mindful Mm -hmm. and um you know putting these structures in place like why does that still remain like illegible as a skill or as like a skill set because they don't what you know i don't know right yeah no you're right like we should go to to like all the the deans the whole world over and be like, poetry will actually make us better accountants. <laughs> like, you know, like yeah. these skills are. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. That's it, a good it just feels question. Like, it feels like, a, uh, well, not everyone gets that same, like those are lessons I learned maybe from poetry sure. or ways I think about like balance and stuff, but you know, you can learn a lot of different lessons from poetry. That's true. Yeah. You can just <laughs> learn how to do drugs really well. Yeah. Um, that's fine too. Which is also, a skill. yeah. Um, just not needed everywhere all the time. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like it's, uh, something that can be like totally answered for. It just feels like a hilarious kind of irony. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I agree. And just like another <laughs> weird evidence of some, some kind of like deeper absurdity, like something more systemic and strange and sad. I don't know if we're talking about education exactly, but if we are, yeah. I mean, it it's like that is or was the like old argument for a liberal art. Like, mm-hmm. I think I am a, a liberal you know, artist. yeah, I mean, we all like, yeah. we, <laughs> you know, or even like an MFA program, like yeah. this stuff that we say, like, I embarrassingly kind of believe in it's like I you know like Danny and I used to say that about starting rescue like we had no idea what we were doing we're not business majors or anything we're English majors and we knew how to research like we knew how to research and communicate and like you know all of this stuff is real you know yeah um all right next question I'm not gonna keep yeah I'm not gonna keep selling uh a liberal arts education on. I know that's, it's not. I was thinking about, well, I'll ask my next question, but first I was going to tell you about a bad neurologist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause you know, when we were talking about, I was thinking about that, you know, like, okay, what, do, what does health insurance or, you know, a hospital company want from doctor, you know, they want people to see everyone in 15 minute increments, mm-hmm. small as possible thing, efficient, you know, processes. And then I was thinking of the something you said, Carol, about being a person, you mm-hmm. know, that like your relationship to being a professional has to do with like being willing to be a person, which is a more vulnerable position, you know, like to be like, I'm going to be a person, you know? Well, and people um, think it's the opposite. It's yeah. to be more like a robot. Yeah. 
but it's like actually peak professionalism is, is to do it all and then, and then also be a, be a person. person. That's what I like. And I think that's what I was sort of trying to say with the, you know, like the casualness, mm-hmm. like, or mm-hmm. where people are, they're um, open or they're vulnerable or they're there. And I was thinking about, okay, it's, uh, so I had this bad neurologist for a while who, um, she really liked to go on safari and like, <laughs> uh, and the whole office was like her photos. And I learned at a certain point that the appointments like went so much better if I asked her questions about her safaris. Like if oh, I came in while my insurance company was paying like $500 for every 30 minutes or whatever, mm-hmm. and I spent 12 minutes asking her questions about her safaris, then I had a better healthcare experience because yeah. she like paid more attention and she would ask me, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was horrible. And I was yeah. like, this is like such <laughs> bad, per- like you are taking a space where your expertise is so needed and like, mm-hmm. it's really well compensated and structured. And I really need you to be my neurologist <laughs> and you're instead being like, let me tell you about my really questionable hobby. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, so, but then it was like the most moving moments with a, like a doctor type professional are like, okay, like when they, sometimes when people like know they can't totally help you mm-hmm. and they walk a little past the edge of their job, you know, cause in a way, like, you know, what you're saying is I know, like, I don't know that I know how to be sick. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can keep being sick like this. I don't know how to do it. And then, you know, they are like, I don't know how to be a doctor when I can't help people. Like, but here's how, you know, like they, they're just with you in that there's a, and that's very different. It's personal and it isn't, it isn't creating a prescription, <laughs> like, but it's, it's like, how do you distinguish between those two moments? And you couldn't do it in a training program. You couldn't be like, yeah be a vulnerable human, but don't talk about your safari, you know, like, like it's like not, it's, it's a different skill. So just, I was thinking about it when you were talking about those skill sets, like it's mm-hmm. not a skill set. We've, we've all been in a position of benefiting from it, but it's one that's pretty hard to recognize or credential, um, or say like, this is what this person is doing when they are really good at this work, you know, like, because yeah. it's very responsive and very contextual and it has a real sense of who has what power in the moment mm-hmm. and, it, and it adjusts based on that so that it's not being presented. You know, it, it does all those things. Um, well, and I should say that like, you know, some of what I've been describing are like my goals and my sense of what's going right when it's going right. The flip side of that is like, because you're being exactly like you're talking about being, you're making yourself open or vulnerable or what, you know, you're maybe allowing just an expansiveness that can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be open to that too. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't work every single time. And sometimes it puts you in a bad position. Yeah. 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 And so sometimes you over, yeah. I'm going to connect this to feminism, which is my next question. Great. (laughs) My question is feminism Uh and my answer is feminism. But I want to, before I say any of that, (laughs) I want to say I'm not a man hater because we all just heard me tell a negative story about a woman, that neurologist. Awesome. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
I guess I've asked a lot of our, you know, I asked like Rebecca Wolf and I asked Danielle Dutton, you know, really about feminism. And I'm mm-hmm. going to do the same thing to you. And mm-hmm. in a way, it's like I get, even though I feel like that word is getting really like stretched out and, diff- you know, it's not, mm-hmm. it doesn't work that well anymore or it got too big. It doesn't hold things. And then also like it's been kind of like corrupted by being used for transphobia mm-hmm. and like kind of horribly being used to do misogyny you know mm-hmm. like it's just you're like okay like how do we get that word back because I think we still need it you know um and I feel very attached to it as this like radical as yet unfulfilled potential of like what a feminist feminist practices would be and feminist visions and I feel like that's kind of what we were talking about just now in a way is that sense of very contextual work, you know, like mm-hmm. that is responding kind of on the ground to factors rather than having a program or that it's instituting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's anti finger mustache. It's, there's no finger. I don't know what the opposite of a finger massage is going to be, but I'm. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, think about that digital adventure. Um, I was, I guess I was like, I just wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. um, being a lady mm-hmm. um, <laughs> or like maybe I think a, a question I asked Danielle and I'm curious to have your answer was about whether there were moments in your work that felt particularly feminist to you. And also, though, I want to ask you about like what is our feminist mission now as writers and editors like it sometimes feels like, well, this is just my opinion, but I'll give that as a starting point. It's like, sometimes feels like it's supposed to be over or something Mm -hmm. because it's true that most people who work in publishing are women, but not most executives or just, you know, Mm -hmm. and most readers, like readers are women, you know, like that's who the big five is mainly selling to. So there's a sense where you're like, why would publishing need to be more feminist? But then I think it really, really does. I don't know. <laughs> need to be. Anyway, so I guess I wanted to ask you, like, what what that word means to you, you know, what feminist visions or orientations you feel yourself having now, um, and if there's moments in your work that you're like, that's a feminist moment. I guess the place that I think that, like, there's a lot of different answers I could give. The place that comes to mind immediately or that I've like settled into is probably the least visible, but I think increasingly the most important, and maybe it's just a reiteration of some of what I've said, which is like making a space that feels like equitable for the people involved. So that means like trying to, you know, like listen to everyone that I work with at both presses, trying to have everyone have like important like roles and strengths and opinions. It means trying to like not have a certain kind of hierarchy with authors to really go into it with like a collaborative and generative spirit. It's all this like formal stuff that um, like I find my feminist practice most successful when it's it's most intimate. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And when it's most about like forms and interactions and communities and 
like working and thinking together on the problems of literature. Not to say there isn't, like I also, we also publish books with feminist content, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and I have like feminist points of view, like that I, you know, spray loosely all around my life, (laughs) you know, but who knows what any of that does, you know, it's also being a model one of the most successful like feminist things I've done in my life is like running presses like with you Hillary like it's not just one of us doing this work in the world but like together I think that's a real threat as we've seen in a lot of different contexts Um, our ability to do such high level work collaboratively and together and for so long and in so many different contexts, I think is powerful. You know, I I can't say how, but I know it is, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not like a model that I saw a lot of in my life. Like, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if I've had very many mentors, although I've had heroes, women heroes, like in writing and and in publishing, but I don't, they've always kind of been alone or they've often been alone Mm -hmm. or seemingly, I don't know all of these people, but so yeah, forms and relationships. I don't like that said, like, you know, I'm also just thinking of like a book we're about to publish, you know, (laughs) like a very specific example, like Madeline McDonald's novel, Lonesome Mm -hmm. Ballroom, you know, like we're just sort of like in the um, kind of like last editing, you know, drafts and phases of that book. And I'm just thinking of something Alyssa Perry said, she just read the book and uh, said this very smart and succinct thing that that it's a novel that's a hyper-performance of gender nihilism. (laughs) And just how much Madeline's book, you know, like reading it in these various sort of draft stages and seeing her work toward something that is like a feminist epic, you know, and a multi-generational feminist epic novel that is... um, that is very bleak and a lot about how, like, that, that... project the project of that word doesn't it doesn't work it hasn't worked Mm -hmm. it has been a failure in a lot of different um ways and maybe it will always remain like an ideal and that in and of itself is upsetting or something and so you know there's a there's a specific project you know that I could cite as like as having been a part of among many of the other books that, you know, I mean, I would say that that's a theme that runs through Rescue and CSU since Mm -hmm. we've been there, but that's not, you know, those are those authors making those books too. So we get to be a part of them and bring them into the world and continue to think about them and stuff. But, but I would say like what, when I think of what I'm, what I'm doing, it feels like a much more long-term idea. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not like one book or one idea I've had. It's like, a again, like something that I hope will have made a difference in like 30 more years. 
I was thinking of, um, we published this book by Karen Balin, <laughs> friend of the pod, <laughs> um, <laughs> called Spain. And I was just thinking of, I mean, there's so many moments in that book that mm-hmm. I think about. I've got to reread it. But one where I'm going to paraphrase it probably a little wrong. She's like, it's a memoir. She is like getting a presentation by a young man, a young gentleman who wants to show her what kings he's related to. Like, so he has a little... <laughs> He presentation and then she's just bored like she really weaponizes boredom in that book mm-hmm. you know like she's mm-hmm. she, boredom is the feminist practice I think for mm-hmm. her and then the passage ends with her um, noting that she can come from boredom mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> like, like the idea that like I'm gonna come because of how much you've bored me and like how boring you are for me like, you're like that's the, like what I, i'm like when i think about <laughs> the opening <laughs> scene of that yeah, book yeah. too <laughs> you know the yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just like which has to do a little bit with like women talking you mm-hmm. know like mm-hmm. that there's still a sense that women relating directly to each other and with each other um it is a child like it mm-hmm. is is not welcome it needs to be interrupted it needs to be controlled you know like isn't itself like a problem in Mm -hmm. in a patriarchal world which is this world yeah yeah. (laughs) and 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 all yeah and sort of like in addition to having some of that and doing some of that (laughs) um there's also like this sense of like how can you help contribute to making a space for it even when it doesn't involve you so like can a small press or can the act of making a book like both it both like tethers someone like Karen Balin or Madeline McDonald to mm-hmm. like their their reader like it's opening all these doors right. for people who read those books but then also like how can rescue for example be sort of like an um energetic like living space where it's not just like I get a book or you get a book and we work on it and then we publish it and then it's over. But it's like, this is like a set of like dynamic relationships that we can help like host or something, but that we're not in charge of and don't Mm -hmm. have an agenda for. And so like, I don't know, like the feminist form of like, instead of like a meeting, like a party, Mm -hmm. like how do you, you know, like I often think about rescue and the work that I do there is like really in the, like a metaphor that is ultimately and historically a somewhat domestic one which is like having a party like I'm gonna buy the food and cook it and invite the people over <laughs> but I'm not gonna have like I'm not in charge of it mm-hmm. I'm not like I don't have an agenda for it I really don't feel like I am obligated to have to describe the aboutness of it later. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like putting people together to allow some kind of like energetic communion to occur. And for those people to relate to each other. For them to relate to each other. Yeah, and like, for new, you know, yeah. ideas and spaces and things to come out of that. I mean, again, these are ideas. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying I'm succeeding or again, like teaching, like there would be any way of ever knowing if I had, you know, we'll let the jury decide. Yeah. I'm imagining, I always, whenever I think of things like, yeah, like teaching and writing and, and publishing and stuff, I always like have this like fantasy that like on my deathbed, someone will just like read down. Like, you did it. Or just like a list of like, okay, these, you know, like here's a summary 
of what yeah. actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to understand anything until the last day, and then I want to understand it all. <laughs> I think that's how it usually goes. That's how it goes. <laughs>